0: Hey there, my name is Madison and I'm one of the pastors at Kynos Church in Portland, Oregon. This teaching you're about to listen to is from one of our Kynos collectives. These gatherings happen once a month, typically the first Sunday of the month, and serve as a time for us to worship together and learn from the scriptures. On the following Sundays of each month, we gather in smaller groups inside homes. We call these Kynos communities. Here we share a meal and discuss the Bible together. For more information about Kynos, feel free to visit kynospdx.org. The hope of Kynos Church is that we are people finding fresh and fulfilled life in Jesus. Okay, well, welcome to uh, Kynos. Uh, if this is your first time, we're glad to have you. I know there are some new faces, or at least faces that are new to me. Uh, then again, I missed last month, so that could mean that there are many new faces that are newer than me. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, listen, before we get into this, I just wanna pray. Uh, I don't know about you, I slept terribly last night. My son woke up at like 2.30 and didn't go back to sleep till like four. Uh, and so I, I think it'll help me to like ground myself and uh, hopefully be good for uh, this morning together. So Father, uh, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for uh, the gift of your son, for the people that we get to share this space with. Uh, grateful that uh, you meet us here. Uh, and that you are uh, strong when we're weak, that you are perfect in our imperfections. Uh, so Lord, we just look to you today for guidance, for direction, uh, and we just wanna follow your lead. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So I love that uh, that Jake talked about, I was gonna use a mic. Do I need to use a mic? I don't need to use a mic, do I? Can you hear me in the back? Weston didn't say yes, yeah, so I don't think you can. Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, uh, I promise you this will not be a message on New Year's resolutions and you all said yes thank you thank you but I do have a question did you know that almost two-thirds of the population don't even bother setting New Year's resolutions almost two-thirds so here's what I wanted to do so uh, yeah by the way thank you uh, so here's what I want to do There are four options up here. I want you to identify yourself and put a finger in the air or fingers in the air for which one you are. You either one, love them and set them, hard eyes. You are two, meh, but I set them. Three, they're dumb, but I set them. I don't know what to call that face, and I can't really do it. Or four, you hate them and you set them on fire. Where are we at here? Yeah, that's kind of what I expected. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think a lot of the reason people don't bother is because they've likely in the past uh, failed to keep them. So they're like, what's the point? There's nothing magical about the calendar flipping. You know, there's, you know. So I think a lot of people, that's why. But I think for a lot of people, uh, it's because resolutions reveal uh, what I call an abundance gap in our life. The abundance gap is the space between our understanding of and experience with abundance and our current reality. We are here... And it looks like abundance is just over there, and the gap feels impossible to close. And I don't mean, and I just want to set the stage here, I don't mean that there's a pile of money over there that's going to solve all our problems, and we're over here. And lucky the leprechaun is cleverly moving it every time you might get close. That's not what I mean. People define abundance in a number of different ways. For some, it is referential to financial security. For others, it might might mean contentment in their career. The point is that as we try try as we might to close the gap, it seems out of reach, like someone or something is moving it every time we stretch toward it. Blink twice, if you know what I mean. Uh, Jesus, uh, we've been talking about the I Am statements of uh, Jesus, and this is going to bother me probably as much as it's going to bother you, so I'll just go ahead and fix this pulpit here so it's not... There we go. Cool. That's better. I think. Maybe it's not. Who cares? Uh, I think I actually just went like this with it just now. Like I leaned with it. Uh, we've been going through the I am statements of Jesus, and this is our fourth one. And in John ten, Jesus uh, introduces two new I am statements. Last month, Becca talked about Jesus saying, "I am the good shepherd." Well, seated within this larger context of Jesus being the good shepherd, he also says, "I am the door." I want to read that together today. John 10, verse 1 says Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door into the the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts all his own sheep outside, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. However, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this figure of speech, but of course they did not understand. Uh, So uh, he summarized it this way, verse 7, so Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. The way I see the story, there are three characters in this message. The first, thank you, thank you. Thank, thank you for going with me over here. Uh, the first is the thieves and the robbers. There's not too much confusion around the idea of a thief and a robber, but let's explore it anyway. Thieves and robbers deal in deception and doubt. They are master liars. They take matters into their own hands. Thieves and robbers work in the shadows and they sneak around. Unless, of course, your name is Danny Ocean or Rusty Ryan. Dang, Noah, you, you, that was a good one. I had it written. I was ready for that joke, and you okay you're cute she's cute and it's all good it was an ocean's 11 reference if you were listening thieves and robbers are driven by greed despite this they live with a scarcity mindset they only subtract they never add they never multiply they never add value when i was living in long beach uh, in 2015 uh long beach california um, I was living in this tiny apartment that was connected to a church and there was a, another bigger parsonage that um, on the property and then I was in this tiny like, apartment garage type thing and it was split by a fence and in the uh, alleyway of this area. Now, we were not in the best area of Long Beach. There were definitely nicer areas and every night I went to bed to the sounds of cars driving up and down this alley and different things. So It was already kind of sketchy feeling for me uh, I had lived previously nine years on like the fifth floor of a building. I didn't hear anything, you know, so it was like very different. So I moved into this apartment. I'm going to school about 45 minutes away, uh, one way. Uh, and so what I would do is I would spend a couple days at my friend's house, sleep at his place and, um, and then go to school because it was closer to his house. And then I go home and, you know, it might be two or three days in between. Well, One day uh, I went and I did this. I did the same routine. I come home and my door's open, and the light's on. And I walk in, and my stuff's everywhere. And my TV is gone. My uh, iPad is gone. Uh, My, uh, I had a camera that was the church's, it was gone. There were just things just missing. And uh, I remember walking in and just feeling like completely violated. If you've ever been the victim of a robbery, a theft, like it is a really hard, it's really hard to describe, but it's really violating. You never have to question if a thief and a robber have visited you. You just have to look around at what's lacking. I remember I felt a lot of shame. I felt a lot of, you know, did I leave a door unlocked? Did I leave the window open? Did I, did I, and I'm trying to find a reason why I contributed to this mess, but it had nothing to do with me. It was because thieves and robbers, this is what they do. They looked for an open door and they found some things that they needed. So you experience uh, feelings of fear and shame, mistrust and suspicion. I remember one of the harder things for me to get over was that I had the iPad connected to Find My. And I could tell that my iPad was just five blocks away, closer to where it gets shadier. Like, I knew I'm not going to get this iPad. But I know if they look at this iPad and they want access, are they going to come and find me? Like, and it just really, it was really hard. I struggled with sleep. I, it was all these things. I think even to this day, when I hear a noise in the middle of the night, i will tell you, I jump out of bed sometimes because I still have this, like, this fear reaction that happens. And I wasn't even in the home at the time. So you wrestle with loss. According to John ten ten, thieves and robbers have a three-pronged mission to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Thieves and robbers have an illusion of control but in the end, the environment they're creating is typically the cause of their own end. When Jesus uses these words, he's not just painting a picture they would understand in their agrarian culture. Surely that would have been a vivid image of a person climbing over the walls to get the sheep. But Jesus is intentionally leveraging this visual to call out the Pharisees and religious leaders for spiritually looting the Jewish people of his day. They did this primarily by elevating their spirituality Above anyone else who wasn't in the religious class, we see this in action one chapter earlier in John nine. John ten is Jesus responding to a question posed to him by the Pharisees at the end of John nine, in relation to this story. John nine verse twenty eight says, "They spoke." Uh, I, I should summarize the story. So in this story, there's a man who is born blind, uh, and uh, Jesus' disciples ask him, uh, "Master, who?" who sinned, this man or his parents. In their culture, it was easier to assume that someone had sinned and this is why this happened. And so they're trying to figure out, was it this man or was it his parents? And Jesus said it was neither. Uh, and so this man, he's a beggar. Uh, that's his lifestyle is to beg and to borrow and to get things from people who will have mercy on him as they're walking around. And uh, so we pick it up. Jesus um, uh, runs into this man. He uh, puts mud on his eyes and then sends him away to wash in a pool. And this, and so this man never actually sees Jesus. So in verse uh, 28, we read, uh, they, the, the Pharisees, spoke abusively to him and said, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Noah. They don't believe what happened to him. They're questioning his story. They're questioning his origin. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Now, this guy only can tell them that some man put mud on my eyes and told me to go wash. I can't tell you who he is. I can't tell you anything. About, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I just know that this is what happened. So verse 30, the man answered and said to them, well, here is the amazing thing that you do not know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if someone is God fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And verse 34 says, they answered him, you were born entirely in sins and yet you are teaching us. So they put him out. You can see the Pharisees elevating themselves above this man who is obviously listening to the teachings in the synagogue and listening and trying to understand uh, faith uh, for himself. Imagine how this man must've felt though. Any joy over finally having, uh, being able to see people's faces and the world around him, completely stolen from him. Any ideas of no longer begging, but being able to contribute economically to a society, killed. Any dreams of being in a community where, where he wasn't defined by his ailment, destroyed. Because that's what thieves and robbers do. They steal, they kill, and they destroy. So... The second character, we're going to, you, you knew I was going to do this, maybe. Second character is Jesus himself. In John 10, verse 9 and 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. John 10, 1 through 10 is a response to the Pharisees questioning Jesus and his handling of the man born blind. They were upset that Jesus had uh, healed him on the Sabbath. And like I said earlier, it's also seated in the larger context that Jesus is the good shepherd. So here Jesus, the good shepherd, is saying that he is also the door to the sheepfold. If anyone who enters the sheepfold through him will have life and have it abundantly. I show this picture here. This is what a sheepfold would have looked like it's a rock structure, and the shepherd or the hired hand would sleep in the doorway so that anyone who was going in or out through the door would have to go through them. This was a type of protective position. A sheep wouldn't be able to wander out of the fold and into danger without first going through the shepherd or the hired hand first. Animals trying to get into the sheep fold to devour the sheep would have, would have to go through the shepherd or the hired hand first. Thieves and robbers would have to go through the shepherd or they could climb up some other way. Becca did a great job comparing the good shepherd and the hired hand uh, last month. So I just want to direct you to Spotify for the differences there and some good stuff there. Uh, But in summary, the hired hand doesn't stick around. Jesus, our good shepherd, becomes the door protecting the way in and out for the sheep, providing an abundant life, For the sheep. The sheep, they get to go in and out and find pasture. They're not stuck. They're not oblivious to the dangers outside the walls. They trust the shepherd to protect them and they follow his voice only. Abundance is often associated with wealth, prosperity, affluence. Abundance may include some aspect of these ideas, uh, but it isn't a required or necessary component by any means. Abundance is a sense of security, whether that's financial or personal. It's, a, it's intimacy and fulfillment in relationships and community. Abundance is commitment, uh, contentment in our work. It's having a sense of meaning and purpose. It's understanding your own worth and value. Abundance is loving yourself. It's feeling like you don't have to hide. Abundance is accepting responsibility for the things you can control and releasing all the rest. The man in John 9 was a beggar who was born blind. From his response to the Pharisees, we get the impression that he also had a well-developed understanding of Scripture. And then he has an encounter with Jesus, the door to abundant life, and the abundance gap for a moment is closed. Until the Pharisees start questioning what happened to him, and they throw him out of the city. Let's look at what happens next in the man's story. John 9, 35 says, Jesus heard that they had put him out and upon finding him. These are some of my favorite words in all of scripture because Jesus uh, Jesus hears that this man who had been exiled when he should have been welcomed, this man who people should have been celebrating the miracle, yet he's been cast out. Jesus hears this man's been cast out and he doesn't just shrug it off. He doesn't just continue about his business. He goes searching for him because that's what good shepherds do. They go searching for the lost sheep. Matthew 18, 12 through 14 says, what do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is lost? And if it turns out that he finds it, Truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven for one of these little ones to perish. Jesus, the door to abundant life, went looking for this sheep who had been exiled. and he spoke with him, inviting him back in, bringing him back into the fold. John 9, 35 through 38, we finish this uh, section here. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and upon finding him said... Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered by saying, Who is he, sir, that I may believe? Remember, at this point, he hasn't seen Jesus. Jesus said to him, You have both seen him right now, and he is the one talking with you. And he said, I believe, Lord, and he worshiped him. Until now, the man only knew the voice of the person who had healed his blindness. Remember, Jesus put the mud on his eyes and sent him away, so he never got to see him. When Jesus said, You have both seen him, and he is the one talking with you now, He is connecting the miracle of the man receiving his sight with the idea that the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. The man responds appropriately with worship. If thieves and robbers have a three-pronged mission to steal, kill, and destroy, then Jesus has a singular purpose to give abundant life. And that brings us to our third character, which is you and me. We are the sheep in this passage. The sheep... Know the voice of their shepherd. And at any given time, the sheep have two jobs. One, to enjoy abundant life. And two, to decide whose voice they are hearing and to follow or not. They know that if they follow their shepherd, they'll go in and out and find pasture. Their needs will be met, they will be protected. They know that the shepherd goes in and out through the door of the sheepfold. He doesn't climb over walls. And even knowing all of that, they have to decide one really important thing. Do I trust the shepherd? You and I have to decide if we trust the good shepherd. Do we trust that he has our best interests at heart? Do we trust that he is leading us into an abundant life? When I think about the sheepfold and these boundaries and this story, uh, I start thinking about Harrison. He's two and a half years old of pure chaos and joy and love, he's amazing. Uh, But he, uh, around our house, if you've been to our house, and I think many of you have been to my house, uh, there you will find gates everywhere. You will find locks everywhere. Uh, And that's because we're tyrants. We don't want him to have any fun. (laughs) Kidding. It's because we value his safety so much that he doesn't understand that there's knives in that one drawer, uh, that there's, you know, tide pods in another drawer, uh, that there's, you know, that the stairs, if he has one misstep as he's learning to walk, he will fall and hurt himself badly. We just recently put a gate at the top of our stairs. We've always had one at the bottom, but somehow, some way, he has not realized that he can climb out of his crib. And so it's like joyous for us. But at the same time, we just know this moment is coming. <laughs> this little boy is about to figure this out. He can. We know he can. Uh, but he just doesn't. Uh, he's not a very risky risk taker. I'm realizing this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll discuss later. Uh, and so, uh, Yeah. So he has not yet realized that he can get out of his crib. But we know it's coming. So we put a uh, gate at the top of the stairs. So if he comes stumbling out of his room one day, he's not going to fall down the stairs because that would be terrible. That's a bad way to wake up, honestly. Um, re- and, then, uh, and then even more recently than that, we um, got a heat shield for our fireplace because he doesn't understand that this fireplace is going to get really hot, and so we want to keep him away from it. We do this to protect him for his safety. It's things that at times maybe he doesn't think is so fun that he can't get closer to the fire. But we understand that if he gets closer, there's a lot of pain that's going to come with that. And so we have to put up these boundaries, and sometimes it means we have to remove him from that space and put him in a new space and start playing with a toy, and hopefully he's distracted enough to not go back right then. He will go back. That's a, that's a guarantee he will go back. So I, I think of this story in relation to the sheepfold. In the sheepfold and, with, uh, and through the door, there is safety, there is protection, there is pasturing, there is going in and out. Uh, the sheep's needs are being met. Our needs are being met. And this has been a question forever. Uh, Adam and Eve faced this question. They had the run of the garden. They lived in abundance. They got to enjoy the lavish uh, fruit and food. They got to rule and reign over God's creation. They experienced meaningful and fulfilling relationships with both each other and with God. There was only one boundary. There was one tree they couldn't touch. And along came a thieving serpent to steal their peace, kill their their trust, and destroy their life. Adam and Eve were the first to experience the abundance gap. In the book of Exodus, God is leading his people to a land flowing with milk and honey, a land meant to be the very definition of abundance on earth. And yet the people struggle to trust that God would provide their needs. They complain, they grumble, they even prefer death at one point. We could look at a number of pages of scripture that were captured for the purpose of allowing us to see that our, our struggles today are common with the struggles of humanity since creation. And here's the thing. If Jesus' claim was real and within his power, then we must become aware of, of and address the thieves and the robbers that are stealing, killing, and destroying our abundance, so who, are, who or what are these thieves and robbers today? The answer to that question really will depend on who's answering it. Each one of us could give a different answer for this. And so this list is not at all exhaustive, but uh, it's, uh, I think, a few of the common ones that we would hear. A thief and a robber might be an abusive relationship. A thief and a robber might be financial instability. A thief and a robber might be unprocessed trauma. A thief and a robber might be anyone who encourages you to continue down a path or in a behavior that is harmful to your body and your soul, that is harmful to the relationships around you. I can't answer this question for you specifically. But I can help you decide if someone or something in your life is assuming the role of thief and robber. Again, these questions are not exhaustive, but I think these three questions will help to at least get the conversation started. The first question is does this make me want to move away from God and his people? Does it make me want to move away from God and his people? God has given us community with each other as a gift. And specifically, he's given us this. He's given us the gathering together in a community of like-minded believers so that we might experience a taste of heaven on earth. It's a part of living in abundance here and now. But like-minded doesn't mean that we agree. It doesn't always mean that we see eye to eye. Like-minded means that we see Jesus and we agree on Jesus. <laughs> Thieves and robbers rear their ugly heads in our communities in the form of things like theological or political differences. This kind of thing leads to distrusting people and moving away from them. The second question that we can ask: is this triggered by unprocessed trauma? Uh, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not uh, a psychiatrist. I'm none of these MDs, PhDs, master's level, anything. I'm none of those things. What I can tell you is that uh, unprocessed trauma will hold us back. Sometimes it's not the people or the circumstances around us that are thieves and robbers, but it's what's triggered inside of us by the people and circumstances. Something happens, and in, an internal script starts to drive our actions. I have mentioned before that I have struggled a lot with approval addiction uh, and, uh, and people-pleasing. Uh, this is because I learned early on that it's an easy way to avoid pain. If I, if I uh, behave just right, maybe I'll get the attention. If I behave just right, maybe they won't talk down to me or punish me. And while this served a purpose at, at one point, left unaddressed, it will create pain of its own. In an effort to gain the approval of my employers, it often meant that I was ignoring my own physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional needs. I suffered, my marriage suffered, my life was suffering because I was seeking approval from people. Approval addiction was a thief and a robber in my life. It was getting in the way of experiencing abundance in my marriage and in my life. And I've done quite a bit of work around this area, but I'm still working on it. Because these things take time. So the third question that we can ask is, does this sound like the voice of the Good Shepherd? Thieves and robbers are master liars. They will offer half-truths and lead us away from an abundant life. We can know that the voice of the Good Shepherd, we can know the voice of the Good Shepherd. And unlike thieves and robbers, Jesus doesn't force himself on any of us. Uh, I'm reminded of Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3:20 at this point. He said, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come to him and will dine with him, and he with me." Jesus is just knocking. And he's just waiting. He's waiting to be invited in. He's just knocking. Asking so that you can be, so that I can be, so that we can be in relationship with him. He's desiring for us to invite him in and to share a meal with him. And so how do we know the voice of the the good shepherd? We check with scripture. We consult with trusted friends and advisors. We take it to prayer. We listen for the voice of the good shepherd. We don't act impulsively on new uh, information or feelings. We wrestle with it. And we wrestle with it in a space where that's allowed. I'll have uh, Abigail and Kevin come back up at this point. Psalm 23 was written by King David. And King David, before he was King David, he was just a shepherd in a field with some sheep. And he wrote this psalm. And I like to think he had a pretty decent perspective of what it meant to be a shepherd and to be a sheep. So I just want to read this. And maybe while I read this, you can close your eyes. I know I have it on the screen if you want to read it, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, and just listen to these words. When I hear these words, I don't hear the words of a, a forceful um, tyrant. I hear the words of abundance. I hear the words of peace and pasturing. I hear the words of the good shepherd who desires to, for us to live abundance to close that gap to see that there are thieves and robbers attempting to steal kill and destroy let's read these words the lord is my shepherd i will not be in need he lets me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil my cup overflows. Certainly, goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. If this is abundance, count me in. And I think this is the invitation for all of us. abundance. While we sing this next song, uh, I thought it was a really fitting song